Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Amy Ferris is an author, editor, screenwriter, and playwright. She has multiple screen credits to her name, including being nominated for a Best Screenplay Award. Amy curated and edited two anthologies, Dancing at the Shame Prom and Shades of Blue, Writers on Depression and Feeling. She may be most widely known for her 2012 memoir, Marion George Clooney, which was adapted to an off-Broadway play. She holds many prestigious awards, including 21 Leaders for the 21st Century and 12 Women Who Changed the World in 2021. Amy is currently co-director of the prestigious Story Summit Writers School, and she serves on multiple award boards, and she's desperately trying to solve and finish up her next memoir, The Mess of Love. I could not be more honored to welcome my new friend to an extended episode of The Storytellers, Amy, welcome. Oh, Grace, it is so wonderful to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a treat. Well, it, the treat is mine, or it's our shared treat for which we are both very, very grateful. In preparing for today, I didn't know where to turn, quite honestly. The body of your work is so amazing. The number of awards is amazing. But I kept coming back to the fact that I think and I want to know if I got this right. You have spent your life rearranging 26 letters to bring a mission of self-love and shining the light on others. Did I get that right? Well, it's the way you said it, which is absolutely magnificent. Yes, you did get it right. You have done this amazing job of taking some of the toughest subjects, which we'll talk about in a minute, and somehow I found joy in all of them, even when we were talking about suicide and depression. So where was the first time you found out that words were your friend? Uh, when I was a little girl. And um, I, as a little girl, you know, I had braces and I was, you know, uh, very awkward. And my diary was my best friend. You know, I would go into my bedroom and I would write, you know, all kinds of things in there. Uh, I was going to marry Richard Polito when I was eight. So <laughs> I don't know where Richard is now, but boy, did he lose out. Um, <laughs> I was going to marry Donald Monsies. So I don't know where he, Donald is. You know, <laughs> these guys, have done, they don't even know. <laughs> they, they haven't got a clue. Um, I, I always felt that writing was where I can share my deepest feelings and that it was safe wherever, whatever diary I, I kept it in. Um, so I always loved the written word. I loved reading. I always felt like I could escape somewhere if I read something. And I just think it was something that I was literally born to do. I mean, I wasn't going to be an ice skater, but I did want to be a bowler. But, um, but it was something that I always loved. Do you still have any of those early diaries? I do. 
And when you go back and look at them, what does that self tell you or what would you want to tell that self? You know, it's funny, Grace, because I'm writing a new memoir and um, my uh, publisher, Brooke Warner, said to me, I want you to ask yourself, what would you tell your younger self now? Mm-hmm. And she was coming about it because, you know, that's what a lot of people say. What would you tell your younger self? You know, how would you, what would you tell, you know, five-year-old Amy or 12-year-old Amy or, and she said, but I want you to tell the, the readers what you once told me. And that is, I would tell my young, younger self, do absolutely everything that you're going to do. Because when you used to say, when I grow up, I want to be, you became that woman. So I wouldn't tell my younger self to not do anything that I did because it got me here. It also got me to have an extraordinary amount of compassion. It also gave me and filled me with amazing empathy. So I wouldn't tell young Amy, don't do that, or don't go after that guy, or don't drop out of high school. I would tell her, do everything. Do it. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that if we embrace those experiences and somehow live through them and have the courage or the friends who can help us find our way through those weeds right that the those experiences are every single one of us shaped who we are today and the shoes we walked in and i love that you talk about empathy because i think that's one of the big gifts of being our age that we can forgive ourselves but we can also forgive so many transgressions of others if you will yeah, oh without a doubt and you know, and, and also be able to share that with younger people, you know, who are so trapped right now in so much confusion and hate and, you know, divisiveness. You know, um, we're all so unique and we all have something so profound within us, you know. We are so unique, but we're also um, so much the same. It was Dan Rather, actually, who wrote a book called What Unites Us. And I found that no matter where we are, if we just stop, there are so many things that bind us together as human beings. When I look at your work, Amy, you have dealt with child abuse, depression, suicide, self-doubt, fatal illnesses, and the list goes on. And somehow, as I said, I found joy in that. And part of that, I think, may be because so much of what we see in social media is, and I'm guilty of this, you know, look me up on a Friday night, you're going to see a great (laughs) charcuterie board. But there's something about your work. Why do you dive in that way? Because I know that there are people who need to hear it and read it. It's really simple, Grace. Um... You know, I figure if one person reads something that I write and it makes them feel less alone or makes or gives them courage or um, fills them with possibility, 
then that's enough for me. You know, and I use I, I use all of my experiences and some of them are really ugly and some of them are really painful and some of them, you know, I, I think uh, there are people who wish that I wouldn't be writing those stories. Um, because I know that there are a lot of people out there who hide. Now, and I, and I just want to clarify something. Dancing at the Shame Prom is something that I co-edited with Holly Dexter. And I didn't edit that on my own. She and I came together and decided that shame was such an important topic. Um, And that was such a profound experience because, you know, so many people have shame. And, and some of it is over something very, very tiny. Some of it is over something monumental. Um, But in a way, it's always so relative because you you know shame is shame right and if we carry it it doesn't matter if it's this big ball of shame or you know just like a little pebble it's you know it's what we carry well and the work that the that the two of you created i love the juxtaposition right of you're carrying around shame but you're dancing you're doing that embrace of this is part of my story. So your work on these dark subjects comes from a dark place. You've been, I've listened to multiple interviews that you've given. You're very candid that you've come from a dark place. I do, (laughs) I did. Um, And I am very candid about that. And I'm very candid about, you know, dropping out of high school. I'm very candid about uh, trying to take my own life when I was 14. I'm very candid about um, all of the mistakes that I've made. You know, I don't, I, for a really long time, the, all of that felt uncomfortable to share. And then when I was writing Marrying George Clooney, and it was started out like as a really kind of quirky menopausal journey, you know, like here I am up in the middle of the night and I'm Googling old boyfriends and, you know, my husband is sleeping. And um, my mother had in the middle of writing that little quirky, funny, odd book, my mother was diagnosed with dementia. And it was actually my publisher and editor at the time at Seal Press when I said, oh my God, my mom's got dementia. And she said, dig deep. She said, I want you to make a really sharp left (laughs) and dig really deep. And that's why all of a sudden the book goes from, you know, dreaming about being in Tulum, Mexico and getting, you know, massages to Mm -hmm. um, being with my mother. And that experience was profoundly painful for me. And it also, um, my entire family blew up. Uh, So much happened within the family. Mm -hmm. And there were moments that I thought, no, I can't write about this. And then there were moments when I thought I have to write about it. You know, because there were people out there who need to know that estrangement is 
very much a part of life in situations like this. And, you know, and I also got to know my mom in a way that I did not know her. And she and had a crush. Little... She had a crush, if I remember from the book. On George Clooney. <laughs> and my mother, my mother said to me, can I say it on the show? I'm like, sure. Oh, I can. Why not? So I said, I said, oh, mom, I would, I would date George Clooney. And she said, I would fuck him. <laughs> and she. And that was atypical, I bet. It was so my mother, you know, and then when I, and when I said to her that I would date him, she said, oh, Amy, you've always been such a dreamer as if her having sex with George would have happened. You know, it was a given. Um, but I got to know my mother. I got to understand our relationship. I got to have a lot of compassion for her. And, um, and in turn, have more compassion for me. Because? Because I wasn't carrying around the anger of misunderstanding. When I understood, when she, at the end of her life, and she really didn't have very many lucid moments, and I was there, and I was there for a week or 10 days in the, in the assisted living facility, and, um, and there was a moment I was in bed with her, and she turned to me and she said, I didn't want anyone to love you. I wanted everyone to love me. Oh. And um, I turned to her and I said, mom, you know, I've got so many wonderful friends and I got Ken, you know, who loves me like crazy. So I don't need that kind of love anymore, but thank you for telling me that now. Wow, what, what a gift, even in her demented state, if yeah. you will, that she could go deep, she could turn left and she could find that. There's such a gift in those final weeks and months with someone. Um, you and I have shared that I've done um, a lot of work with hospice and also with uh, abused children. And those final days though in hospice, I also went and helped my mom in her closing days. And just having discussions with her about the things that, not that she regretted, but that she wanted to somehow put right you know, she, I, my own mom uh, was very apologetic that she didn't understand my own child abuse when, you know, it, it, nobody understood it back then. Nobody spoke about it in 1966 or whatever. And here she is, you know, in 2000 saying, I'm sorry, I didn't get that right. And that was, that was very great healing. Um, but I think both you and I would agree, we have to be able to listen to that. Because if we, if we don't stop to listen, we never get that message. I absolutely agree with you 100%. And I also think that women of our age, um, so many of us had mothers that didn't know how to love better. They didn't know how to nurture. They didn't know. Um, they were. I think so many of these women were doing what they were told to do not what they wanted to do, not what they 
were born to do. Um, so I think that they had children and many of us had mothers that resented us because we, we got in the way of who they wanted to be, you know? Um, so when I think about my mom now, I just, I try really hard to be the woman that I think she would have wanted to be in the world. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I was very lucky. I, I felt very, very loved and nurtured. But also, I think you and I were close to the same age. And I think, and I'm sure this has happened at different points in history, Amy, but I think we were at that little cusp between those women who did what they were, and this is a horrible word, bred to do, expected to do, and then the women who broke out and did something totally different. You know, I, I find it delightful and astonishing that my daughter and my granddaughter know that they can be absolutely anybody they could be. But I was still the first girl in my family ever to have gone to college. So the in the very, very recent past, the possibilities of women have trained, changed so dramatically. Let's go back to George Clooney now, because yes, I also wanted to marry him. I'm a little surprised he found that other woman, but- No, too, but you know, she seems lovely, right? She does, and she does such good work. I, yes. I don't take, I don't begrudge her at all. I don't either. Except I'm sure if he had met me, just like Donald Monsey's and the guy you were supposed to marry when you were eight. Anyway, let's talk more about that book because it dives very deep into that menopause. It starts out, and I never know, I read your work and I'm like in this deep place and then I wind up laughing. So where do you find joy? What was the transformative moment? Maybe it's better to go there rather than back to the George Clooney book. Where did you learn to find joy? Um, I think um, that is a really profoundly good question. Where did I learn to find joy? Because um, I think joy is a lot different than happy. Um, joy, you want to build a distinction for me? Yeah, I think joy is very is very much something that is inside. You know, when people say, oh, they're so joyous, it feels um, very much like it's something in you that joy is in you. Happy feels like outside. That, that, that's just how I look at it. But um, I think joy is, um, I first learned about joy, um, to be very, very honest with you, when I used to go with my dad on Saturdays to museums or plays in the city and it was our day and, you know, and just being on the Long Island Railroad with him and walking around New York and going to museums. And there was a, a to me, joy was born out of curiosity. I would like stand in a museum and I would be, and I just fell in love with art, you know, or being in a theater and watching people on a stage, you know, singing and dancing and, and saying, you know, like the coolest words in the world. Um, there, was a, there was a profound joy in experiencing art. 
So, so that storytelling, whether I'm sorry, whether it was the painting or the words, which you've turned into an amazing playwright and screenwriter. Writer. So at that early age, I'm wondering if we were on the Long Island Railroad together. Belmore? <laughs> Garden City. Oh my God. We were on the Long Island Railroad together with our dads. Yes. Because it was Belmore, Freeport, Merrick. No, it was Belmore, Merrick, Freeport. Um, God, now I'm going to go through the entire Nassau Stewart Manor. It depended on whether you, which line you were on. <laughs> so you found joy in the words in your diary, but then also watching the magic of storytelling, whether it's through painting or in theater in New York. Oh, without a doubt. There was something, there is something, and, and it's still there, Grace, you know, I go, Ken and I, you know, we haven't gone because of COVID, but, you know, we would go to MoMA or the Met in the city. Mm -hmm. and, and I would stand in front of, I was, are you okay? <laughs> Speaking of joy. Is that Ken? It's my baby. It's my guy. He is the most- Hi, Ken. He is so- Hi there. <laughs> And we have a special guest spot from Ken. And we have a, yes, from ICANN. Um, when we would go to the museum, I would just stand in front of a painting um, and just feel like, how, how did Van Gogh do that? Or how did Monet do that? Or just, or how did Jackson Pollock? I mean, how did he do that? And all of the women and, and, it, there's something about standing in front of art, whether it's a painting, whether it's in a theater, something awakens in you. And, and your work awakens that in me and so many others. Let's switch to the Story Summit. Sure. I so want to hear more about this writer's school. I've heard wonderful things about it from Julie Cantrell. And uh, the last one was in New Mexico. So tell me about it and why you created it along with your co-founders. Well, actually, what's so wonderful, and this is really a great story, and you need to get Deborah on the show because she is, she is pure, absolute joy, hands down. Um, Deb and I were thrown together. We did not know each other. This was two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, David Kirkpatrick, who founded the Story Summit, it was originally very much a um, uh, an active retreat where people would go, and you know, very much like any kind of conference or retreat. And then COVID happened, and Deb and I were thrown together, these two women who could not be more, more opposite. And, really? oh my God, she's, I mean, she's brilliantly methodical. And I'm, you know, seat of my pants. Like Deb will say, okay, we're having this person on today and she will know absolutely everything. <laughs> okay. And I'll just, you know, wing it because I'll read something about them or a lot of things about them. And, you know, I just go, I, I'm very much a, a person of like, I go from my gut, from my heart. Um, and so you have these two women 
who were thrown together and we just kind of fell in love. And we had this idea about, along with David Kirkpatrick, um, you know, how to, what is it people are needing? What is people, what do we, we approach Story Summit from the place of what do people need rather than this is what we want to give you. So we've approached it very much from a place of mentoring, a place of what is it that, what is the kind of writing that people really want to be doing right now? Um, and if it's screenwriting, how can we flip that a little bit so that it's not traditional screenwriting? You know, um, and it's gone, it's blown up. It's become this ex huge, um, you know, school. Prestigious and, is prestigious is okay to use that word. It's pretty it's awesome. It's very prestigious. And it's also one of the things that Deb and I do share very much in common is how much we want women to awaken to their power and how much we want them to feel that and step into their joy and use that to change the world. You know, um, Deb wrote the book, The Only Little Prayer You'll Ever Need, which is all about um, really, you know, eliminating fear. You know, if we, if we, if we approach our life from a fear-based, from fear-based, um, and so she and I do, we come from a very, very different world, you know, and, and we've managed to, as one, one person said, the two of you together are a perfect woman. So that's kind of lovely. And so what we do is, you know, we do, um, a retreat. This will be the second one this year, um, coming up called Her Spirit in Santa Fe. We've part partnered with Jody Fagan and Katie Browntree, and they work with, they're working with us and we are, it's phenomenal. You know, we bring a hundred women together and we do everything from playwriting and screenwriting to sacred writing, to um, memoir writing, to fiction writing, um, telling you know how how can you tell your story how do you how can you best tell your story and that's where i met julie cantrell who is another one of those women that you just want to wrap yourself around and go please don't leave me yes she she is a spirit and like you she is a force i can't believe even in our extended time here today i still have so many more things i want to talk to you about Let's just talk briefly because I don't know about these two amazing awards you were given. 21 leaders of the 21st century and 12 women who changed the world. That's pretty impressive. That's fucking impressive. Are you kidding me? <laughs> when, uh, when I got the email about 21 leaders, Ken and I were in the car, we were going somewhere and I got this email and in the subject it said, um, 21 leaders for the 21st century. And I and you knew, wondered, I wonder who that was. <laughs> and what it was really funny because um, I, of course, knew what women's e news represented. I was in awe of 
the work that they do in the world. Um, it was born out of, it was called the White House Project many years ago. And, um, it, and I opened, and I said to Ken before I even opened it, I said, you know, they probably would like us to contribute a little bit of money. Why don't we do that? And he said, yeah, sure, you know, send in a donation. And then I opened the email and it said, dear Amy, um, thrilled to tell you that you have been named one of the 21 leaders of the 21st century. And I read it like 1400 times as only I could. And then I read it to Ken out loud. So, you know, he could help me. Um, and then I sent Lori Sokol an email and I said, you know, really wonderful. We would be very happy to donate something. Um, but I'm pretty sure that you meant this to go to another Amy, oh. like Amy Siskind or Amy um, Bloom, who I just think is one of the most extraordinary women in the world. And I said, so I, I'm, you know, just letting you know, we will donate and I'll even show up for the award show because it sounds so cool. And she wrote me back in capital, in all uppercase, no. <laughs> We are honoring you. And again, I wrote back and said, who's you? You, you, who? And then she called me and she said, you're so adorable. You know, you're, you're like, I'm telling you that you're getting this honor and you're saying, I bet it's, and then I said to her, well, maybe it's for an Amy posthumously. Maybe like there's a dead Amy that you met. Oh my gosh. Talk about self-doubt, my friend. No, and then that was what was so profound. And she said, Amy, I don't know how many ways and to tell you that this is, we're honoring you that night. And that was what my speech was about. I decided that I needed to take all of that self-doubt that probably was told to me. You know, we inherit these things, right? Indeed. We inherit the words, you're not enough. Or we, you, we inherit, you're not beautiful. We inherit all of these things. And they stick to us, to our ribs, right? You can always be more. Yeah. And so, you know, my mother used to say to me, what did you do? <laughs> it's like... You know, a friend cut my hair and gave me a pixie cut. And I came home with like, you know, globs of hair. And my mother, what did you do? Well, mother, nothing. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we, have, we have these stories that become so much a part of how we see ourselves. And so I wrote a speech about not believing and it was so profound sure. because there were all of these people there in, in the audience. And at the end of my speech, this little girl came over to me. And she was maybe 18, I think, maybe 17, maybe, you know. And she had... A couple of her friends die at the Parkland school shooting. Her mother brought her to this event. Mm -hmm. And she came over to me and she said, 
you don't know, but you just changed my entire life. Because what I was talking about was being, having fear and insecurity and self-doubt. And here I was getting this award and never, and not believing that I was going to get this award. But where did all of those, where did that self-doubt come from? And so I was able to take getting that extraordinary award, which is mind-blowing, and turn it into something that could encourage other people who feel self-doubt. It's, it's so amazing. And I think every day we can, in big and little ways, do those little changes. And I'm so glad you did that. Let's just keep going. Tell 12 Women Who Changed the World. Let's talk about Equally freaking Amazing. That, to, uh, you know, do you know Next Tribe at all? Do you know no, Jeannie I saw that. I saw that it was attributed there, and I haven't had a chance to go out and do the research on it. Um, but still, Jeannie, there's a whole lot of women in the world. 12, Amy? The 12 women who changed the world. And when I look at the list, that's the other thing. You know, I'm... I... I <laughs> um, but you know, I, I'm going to own this one and I'm going to own it because Jeannie Ralston created Next Tribe for women over 45 and she created it, I, I don't know how many years now. And her mission, her goal is for women like you and I and other women to know how powerful we are, that we're not at the end of our life we're really at the very beginning because of everything that we have learned and done. So now we get to flip that and inspire and encourage other women to go after what they want, to speak their truth, to stand their ground, to know that they're gonna make mistakes, but those mistakes are like pieces of a mosaic, right? Absolutely. And so I had no idea at all that I was, but Jeannie, I can say that Jeannie has loved me for a very, very long time and follows me and um, so with this particular 12 women who changed the world, I think I was able to embrace that a whole lot more Grace because I do see what I do every day on Facebook or in social media or through through my writing, through my um, audacity. Um, and so when she sent me an email and said, okay, we're naming 12 women and you're one of the 12, I didn't go, really? I was like, thank you so very much. Thank you. And I love I love that balance that we can have both in life. I am crushed that I have to end our time together today. Oh, me too. Can't we hang out every day? <laughs> I think we can do that. We'll bring everybody together and do it. I like to end my storyteller episodes by asking my guests, is there something quirky about you that people might not know if they followed you? Something just a little quirky. Yes, there is something very quirky about me. I play solitaire every night and I bowl online. I do this every single night. 
And I've never said that out loud. That's my quirky thing. I love bowling online and I love playing solitaire. And I actually have become a solitaire queen today. <laughs> I play Candy Crush. So there are, are true confessions right here at the storyteller microphone. Amy, you have brought me so much joy just in the last week of getting to know you. And in my studies of you, I found a poem you had wrote, written and um, this shows my dyslexia. It's called, You Are a Magic Maker. I read it quick and thought I was a magic marker. So I thought, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a magic marker. I wonder what she means. She's so profound. So I'm gonna thank you. And then I'm gonna finish this up with this. So thanks for being on the Storyteller's Microphone today, Amy. You're a gift. You're a gift. So these are Amy's words. A backbone to replace your wishbone this is a bold directive to give yourself a second chance to live out loud, to live juicy, to forgive your messy past, and to have enough moxie to finally say yes to your life. Because moxie is magic. Moxie is soul food, a life condition, a spirit, an energy, and it is so full on contagious. The minute you start sprinkling some of it around, everyone wants it. The world needs magic makers, Moxie and you. Period. Beginning of story. Amy, thank you. Thank you so much, Grace. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon. <laughs>